It's the St. Victory Podcast. I'm Josh St. Marie. And Victor, sports are a lie. They're a complete lie. How's it going? Uh, I mean, on that note, I don't know how well it could be going. Well, for me, it's going very poorly. My entire weekend, <laughs> and it really this just happened on Sunday, but and we'll get into it. We're for sure getting into it. The F1 race this week was a complete sham. It was a farce. It was a controversy, whatever you want to call it. It was the title deciding race. And it, it was a lie. Sports are a lie, Victor. That's where I am. That's my mental headspace right now. I barely watch any other sports this whole weekend. So you're going to have to do some heavy lifting. You're going to be having to give the people, our listeners, some updates about what went down in the world of sports, but also me a little bit, because I was on Twitter. I was in the Twitter comments this weekend. Let's just say that I stooped mm-hmm. to the level of a Twitter commenter this weekend. <laughs> it, it was rough. Yeah, I, I can't say the same for how my weekend went, but yeah, I could get behind sports is a lie. I, I think when at least the sport of F1 is a lie, and you'll be able to conclude that with me by the end of today's podcast. But I wanted to ask you, um, most fantasy football playoffs are are starting this week. So just a quick little update. How are, how are your fantasy teams doing? Did they make it? Yes, both of, I'm only in two leagues this year. Both of my teams made it. One with a bunch of high school and college friends. Um, I actually started that league 0 and 5, ended up 8 and 6. So glad that we were able to come back in that one. And then um, in the Dynasty League, with a different group of guys, um, believe I also went 8 and 6 in that league, also made the back end of the playoffs. So we'll be, we'll have some to watch next week. So are those two leagues where six teams make the playoffs then, or is that four teams? Well, one really- is. Well, one is eight teams out of 16 and the other is six out of 10. Which one's the dynasty league? Uh, the 10 team. Okay. I was going to say 16 team dynasty league would be crazy because <laughs> dynasty leagues are already, if you don't play in a dynasty fantasy football league, the bench is already much deeper. You have just like 15 players on the bench. So yeah, we're already kind of stretching it with just 16 team redraft. And I think we only have like six bench spots. So I don't know how a 16 team dynasty league would be able to set up. And most of those are two QBs too. So, well, I wish you the best of luck. I also will be making the playoffs in my two leagues. One is a, is a home league with some high school friends. I uh, made a controversial decision this week when I, I am locked into the playoffs. I was playing the, the team. There's only four teams that make the playoffs here. It's 10 team league. And this team sucks. This team I was playing, I'll just put it that way. Not good. It was one of those teams that just had the like zero points scored against them, like very much bottom tier team, but somehow holding that fourth spot in the playoffs. And so I had the option to lose to them on purpose to let them make the playoffs. And I chose not to, I chose to beat them. And I, and honestly, I barely ended up beating. I'm talking on the smack about them. I barely ended up beating them. And I, I don't remember if you remember last week, but I was just coming off a loss against another one of the worst teams. So my team's kind of hitting a low spot at this point in the season, but a couple late touchdowns from Jameer chase saved me. So I ended up knocking that guy out of the playoffs. And now as a result, my reward for doing the honorable thing is I am playing the second best team in the league, second most points scored, and he's been bringing it lately. So likely I will be losing in the first round of the playoffs. I probably should have tanked, but I did the honorable thing, Victor. I did the honorable thing. Yeah, I'm not anticipating going very far in my playoffs either. Uh, That's a really controversial topic. Um, I've heard on some fantasy football podcasts intentionally losing to get a better playoff matchup what's your I mean I guess if you didn't do it that's not something you want to do but what's your take on it I think I honestly can't fault anyone for doing that I think 
that's kind of the rewards you get for clinching your your playoff spot that early in the season for having a team that's done that. Personally, I would never feel good about myself for doing that. I think let, let me actually let me put this out there. This might even be the opposite of what most people think, because maybe people think if it's a league with friends, if it's for fun, they're willing to try some shenanigans like that. For me, when it's for fun, I'm just going to beat whoever try and beat whoever the best is. If there was like real money on the line, I would be like, I don't really care your opinion of me and I will tank so that I get to play you again in the playoffs and have a much easier, easier opponent. I think a lot of people might do the opposite. Personally, that's where I probably am at with that. Yeah, I generally think even if your roster, you're not putting everything into trying to win, I think you should be setting a faithful lineup every week. So that's kind of where I stand when it comes to fantasy sports in general. So, I mean, if you could set like a legitimate lineup while losing intentionally, I don't have much of an issue with that. But if you're just starting like a dude on a buy or like a practice squad player, then then I'd be taking issue. So what about this? So I once tweeted this out and it, and it was rather controversial. Some people were willing to throw the C word on this, call it collusion. I don't see this as collusion, <laughs> but I understand why it's controversial. I do this tactic where when I have a good team in one of my leagues, and I have a player that let's call him like an upside player, a player that I really don't want to put out there on waivers for one of my opponents to get, but there's a waiver wire move I really want to make. What I always do is I go to one of the worst teams in the league and I say, here have this player you trade me whoever you want to trade back so they trade whoever they trade some scrub they trade that player to me they get the player i don't want to go to one of my title contenders the someone in the title race with me i immediately drop the player i just acquired and pick up the player on the waivers i want what do you think of that is that that a little dirty that's a tough one i mean i can't really think of any particular rule or reason why it would be like i don't think it's necessarily collusion because the, the person you're in a transaction with isn't doing it with the express purpose of weakening your opponents. They probably just Yeah, no, their team's getting you know, much getting better. A, For them, it's like a yeah. no-brainer trade. So I don't know if it's collusion per se, but it definitely does sound pretty sketchy. <laughs> pretty <laughs> sketchy. I am, I am a pretty sketchy in fantasy leagues. I, I have been known to do <laughs> things such as, like, let's just say when I was younger and had even less self-control, I was the person who would find what my opponent needed, pick up all of his players early in the week, drop them so that they'd be on waivers for the game on Sunday, and then make the acquisitions I needed. So Yeah, I'm not a big fan of dropping players on Sundays. <laughs> Yeah, I I'm mean, not a big fan at this point, at this point, I, I have uh, matured enough to realize that I won't be doing that. But I still will always <laughs> I think I think the trade, the trade strat I have is is fair game. I think if the player is good enough that someone else wants them, then I should be able to make that trade. That's kind of my stance. And it gets to a point in the season where those players, it's, if it's redraft, won't make the trade anyways, because it means nothing to them. They're basically eliminated anyway. So it's it's not, I, I don't think it should be as controversial as is. But speaking of uh, bending rules, Victor, I, uh, I want to propose a question to you. I want you to think, what is the most controversial sports moment you have ever seen? And bonus points, if it's happened, if it happened in a championship game and it sort of decided that championship game. So I, I know I just put you on the spot and it's hard to just think of controversial sports moments. But I've got I've got a list here, and I'll just read through some of them. The Black Sox scandal comes to mind. A similar scandal involving sports betting is the NBA's referees being on the payroll of gamblers. That whole thing's a little fuzzy. No one knows exactly what happened, but it seems to be a fact that it at least happened at some point. 
but there's and all these Joey and all of them. Yeah. Ed, yep. Exactly. So there's that. The another thing that comes to mind, very controversial moment: Steve Bartman for the Cubs, the Tuck Rule for the Patriots, um, the Music City Miracle. Uh, I don't know what your opinion on that, Victor, but <laughs> it kind of looks like a forward pass. And, and then another one that I just jotted down that came to my mind was the Saints Vikings missed passing interference penalty that was so bad that they created a new rule that you could review passing interferences. And that that rule in itself was a complete sham. So that whole situation, very controversial. And I want to pose that what went down this week in F1 may be worse than all of those moments. It is at least on level with all those moments, in my opinion. It's on par. I think what happened in F1 this weekend was one of the most controversial sporting moments of all time. So that's just that's just my little tease. I'm going to be taught. We're going to be talking more about the race to end the podcast. So for those of you who aren't interested in the most controversial sporting moment of at least this year, I don't know why you wouldn't be interested in listening to what that could be. But that's going to be at the end of the podcast. We'll focus in on that F1 race because that was my entire weekend once again. But in the meantime, what you came here actually for, we'll be talking about baseball and football and nothing happened in baseball this week, Victor. Baseball still in a lockout. Yeah, I feel bad for the people at MLB Trade Rumors trying to come up with topics to write about. Uh, I guess there's been enough minor league signings and uh, international signings to keep some people occupied. But generally, it's been it's been quiet. We don't, it doesn't even sound as though the players and the owners are meeting up and discussing anything at the moment either. So this could drag on for quite a while, Josh. Do you think we are at risk of this going and cutting into the season at all? Or do you think both sides are kind of just content to let the whole offseason just kind of sit there and then conveniently they'll have a deal done when spring training rolls around? Um, I think... I don't think we're going to lose regular season games. That's been my stance since the beginning, since, I mean, owners and players have so much to lose. And I think the things that they disagree on while they are far away, far apart, um, like I, I think they'll be able to come to an agreement, hopefully by at least like February. I think, I think February, March, if they're, still far apart by then then we should then we'll be worrying about losing games but i think they'll be uh hopefully around you know when spring training games are supposed to start maybe we lose spring training games or something like that but i'm not i'm not assuming we're gonna miss games i sure hope you're right i i tend to be in the same camp as you are and i don't i can't decide if the lack of communication between the two sides right now is a good or a bad thing because on one end it does seem to indicate that neither side is very nervous about missing baseball because that's that's really bad for both sides i think just from a pr standpoint i don't think either side is very confident that they can control the narrative the owners have a history of being able to get the general public on their side but we're in a very pro player era of I don't know what you want to call it era of modern history and sports. People Mm -hmm. tend to be very pro players these days. So I don't really think the owners want to get to that point. So on one end, I do think could, could be a good sign that there doesn't seem to be any communication right now, but also there's been no communication that we know of, which seems bad. So maybe there are a lot of issues that they need to be talking about, but hopefully they'll get that done. 
there was one thing that I, I, uh, I have one thing jotted down on my list of baseball topics this week, and it's, it's not news at all. It was, I was, I was looking for something to talk about. So I was just perusing the MLB standings for last year in my ESPN app. And I noticed that the Cleveland guardians, as they now go by as about a month ago, I think their name officially switched. They ESPN switched out the Cleveland C and replaced it with the guardians logo. And I was just reminded of how horrible of a logo they have. <laughs> I'm not even getting into the name choice of the guardians. I was actually someone who kind of liked it. I preferred that over the Cleveland spiders, which is what a lot of people seem to want, but the logo itself is, is a bottom tier logo. It's, it's awful. Yeah, there was very little imagination put into it. Uh, they just slapped some letters on a baseball. But I think the the name Guardians, I think I really liked it, um, especially learning about how it connects to the city of Cleveland, um, the statues they have. But it really would have been nice if they could have made a legitimate, um, a legitimate logo with some sort of creativity. But I agree with you. It's not a very good logo at all. Apparently, the logo is supposed to represent the actual Cleveland Guardians, which like are like these statues on this bridge in Cleveland that are very famous. If you've seen the movie Major League, the very first opening shot is actually of these uh, statues, which I think is a point in favor of the name Guardians. So I really like the name. But if you look at the statue, to me, it barely resembles the logo at all. They both have the one similarity is there's these wings going out the back of it, but the wing design on the statue is far cooler than the wing design that they have on the actual Cleveland guardian logo. So if that's like supposed to be the connection, at least make it look like the same type of wing. I mean, I I think they really just like threw something together and were like, sure, we'll say it kind of looks like the statue that we're named after. I don't, it was a half baked logo creation. So that's where we're at in the state of baseball. Where we, who like to be analytical in our approach of, of baseball are looking at logos and saying we don't like them. So baseball is taking a step back for us, but there is still one sport we like to follow that's going on right now. And it was kind of a crazy weekend, a slow start. As far as I could tell when I was check, checking the box scores, because again, wasn't really watching too busy in the Twitter <laughs> comments, but football has been going on Victor. So let's get right into football. What's something you saw this weekend in football? Yes. Yeah, so as you mentioned, the 1 PM games got off to a pretty, pretty poor start there were a lot of blowouts a lot of bad football but the 4 p.m games definitely did not disappoint and that leads me into my first point about um our weekly it seems like a weekly thing now asking who's the best team in the nfl at one point people would say maybe the titans there was probably a point where people thought it was the chiefs or the bills the patriots were have been among the best teams um in recent weeks as well but i think this week the the bucks might have pushed themselves above some of the other teams that we're considering for the best team in the NFL. Um, Currently they're third in strength of record, but they happen to have uh, beat the number one and the number two teams in strength of record in the Patriots and the bills. Uh, Tom Brady looks like the MVP of the NFL. Now he's playing some incredible football. The roster is absolutely stacked on both sides of the ball. Uh, They're getting a little healthier on the defensive end and they just won the Super Bowl. So I think the Bucs might be establishing themselves as the no-brainer Super Bowl favorite. Um, I'm not sure if that's something you agree with, Josh, but I, it seems to me like the Bucs are getting into that type of rhythm. And obviously, 
in the game against the Bills, they nearly blew, I think it was a 24-point lead or something like that. So they didn't play a complete game, but when when they needed to come out and um, put up points, they did at the end. So I think I think the Bucs are the best team in the NFL right now. It's hard to disagree with that. I think last week we talked about who's going to win the MVP, and there were some questions in there. I think, and we kind of came to this conclusion last week, that Tom Brady is probably likely the front runner. And after these last couple of weeks, I think I even saw that he's minus money in some books if you want to bet on him to win MVP, which means he is greater than a 50% chance at this point to win MVP. So that speaks volumes just to how good this Bucks team is doing. Also, point in favor of the Bucks. Did we not see this exact same thing last year where we had a lot of questions about the Bucks? It seemed like they had some holes on their team. This year they come out of the bye and they immediately struggle. I believe last year coming out of the bye is when it really started to click, but the timing wasn't too dissimilar where it seems the second half of the season this Bucks team is really starting to click again. At the same time, you already mentioned it, the second half of that game was extremely underwhelming for the for the Bucks. It came down to a point where the Bucks had to rely on a missed passing interference call where there's the there's the pictures on Twitter where it's very clear that the defender is not only falling down, but he has got Stefan Diggs jersey and is pulling it to such an extent that it's very questionable that the refs could have missed that. It seems that the refs likely saw it and decided, let's just let them play. Let's let this game be decided on the field. It's what eventually let that game get to overtime. So we could be sitting here calling the Bucks the best team in the NFL very easily coming off a loss. If you're wondering, like, why would the Bills have struggled in the first half? They just came off one of the most demoralizing losses I've ever seen in a game where the Patriots ran the ball every single play but three times and managed to beat them. I saw it equated to if you were playing someone in rock, paper, scissors, and they threw rock 20 straight times and you lost. That's kind of the loss the Bills were coming off of. And that, I think, led to a first half where they were going to be a little flat. They wake up a little in that second half. They bring it to the Bucks. I don't know. Are, are the Bills a good team? I mean. Yeah, I think the Bills are good. They have a really good roster. They still have some really good metrics on them but i'm not sure they're a top team or a can top contender and uh, we might have to change our super bowl pick i didn't even mention the cardinals or the packers as teams that people could consider the best team in the nfl uh this does feel strange seeing the cardinals always at the top in so many numbers but i'm not sure how how seriously i take them uh compared to the other top teams and then the packers they have their own their own issues. But yeah, I could definitely see why the Bucks win last week wasn't actually that encouraging considering how it came. Uh, but I think their total body of work, and if you consider their pedigree and uh, their past accomplishments, they do look like uh, the team to be right now. Yeah, I mean, they have Tom Brady. So <laughs> as, a, as <laughs> an ex-Tom Brady lover and, and now current Tom Brady hater because he betrayed the Patriots it's hard it's hard to ever decide against the man so I do think the the Packers are making a serious push though yeah especially now with Rodgers healthy and rolling the one thing um if the Bucs don't get the one seed does that deter you at all from picking them because the looks like the Cardinals if they win tonight I kind of like their odds of uh, getting the one seed eventually at the end of the season Whew. I mean, the Bucks definitely feel like the better team, but that buy is so important. It's been proven that 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 buy is extremely important. We now only have one buy, which seems to only make it even more important. Mm-hmm. But we talked about this when we picked the Cardinals to make the 
the Super, Super Bowl, Bowl against the Bills. It just seems that they're a very unproven team. When If you put Cliff Kingsbury in that situation, is he going to make the calls he needs to at the right times? Is he going to use his timeouts wisely? Is Kyler Murray going to be able to handle the pressure? These are all questions that we are incapable of answering right now because the Cardinals have never been in this situation. And so that kind of deters me from picking the Cardinals should they be the one to get the bye. Now, if the Packers end up getting the bye, Mm-hmm. because I believe they're also up there with the Bucks and, and Cardinals record-wise. I will I will probably, without hesitation, say the Packers are the prohibitive favorite to make it to the Super Bowl. And, of course, the same goes for if the Bucs um, get that bye as well. But the question is, if the Bucs don't get the bye and the Cardinals do, who is the favorite? And I think I'll probably side with the experience in Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Yeah, I could definitely see that argument. I have a similar similar situation, and you kind of asked us, who's the best team in the NFL? I'm going to ask us, who is the best team in just the AFC North? <laughs> the Ravens, they're extremely injured. The Browns just beat them. That The Bengals just off a, in my opinion, very unimpressive loss against the 49ers, a, a game we really needed those Bengals to win for our Eliminator game. Mm. And uh, then we also have the Steelers, who are – only good in the fourth quarter so <laughs> i don't know victor do you have an is there an immediate team that jumps out to you who is winning this division i actually had this discussion yesterday with my roommate who happens to be a bengals fan i think the bengals are at least right now probably the best team in that division but i also don't think they're going to end up winning the division um, just because of the way these schedules, the way they stack up, it's a lot of divisional games. So I, the division's obviously going to be decided in these last three or four weeks. Um, if Lamar Jackson is out multiple weeks, I think the Ravens are in a really tough spot. Um, and then the Browns, they might have the most complete roster, but Baker Mayfield has to be better than he's been so far this season for me to really take them seriously. And then the Steelers, the Steelers are... They, they look like an average team. Um, they, I think they'll end up 8-8-1. Eight, eight and one. Uh, So, yeah, I think the Bengals are the best team right now, but I think they'll find a way to not win the division just because that's that's just how, it be, how it's gone for them. And I don't think Zach Taylor is a good coach at all. I think he's a quite bad coach. And then Jim Harbaugh and um, even, even uh, Kevin Stefanski, I think they're much better coaches. And, he, and Mike Tomlin, too, but I think the Steelers are outclassed uh, when it comes to a roster perspective. So, so I guess I, never, I didn't really answer your question because I just said the Bengals won't win it. But if I had to pick right now, I'd say I think the Ravens will, but I don't feel confident in that at all. The Ravens are the team currently in the driver's seat. So it seems like a natural tiebreaker. I, I saw on Twitter again, because that's where I spent all of my Sunday was on Twitter. I saw some people, <laughs> I believe they were roasting Zach Taylor for calling two straight run plays at some pivotal situation in the game. I never saw those plays at that point. I didn't have, mm-hmm. I wasn't, didn't have my eye trained on red zone. So I'm not sure what exactly went down, what side I come down on that argument, but it was enough people that I trust on my Twitter mentioning it and complaining about it that I think that alone is evidence that Zach Taylor probably not the best coach and in situations where it matters probably not someone you want to trust to make the right call mm-hmm. yeah in that, that series actually uh, Chase and Higgins had been gashing the 49er secondary for the whole game and they hadn't been able to get a consistent run game with Mixon at all but in overtime he called two straight runs that kind of killed their opening drive and uh, forced them to settle for a field goal 
and the 49ers drove down the field with George Kittle and ended up winning the game on a touchdown. So that's the context for that. George Kittle, by the way, absolute beast yesterday, kind of cementing himself in a game where the Chiefs scored like 40 something points and Travis Kelsey did not show up. I'm starting to wonder if, if Kittle is now officially the best tight end in the NFL. So that's a, a, a common theme in our podcast, me complaining about Travis Kelsey this season, if, if you've been listening to us since the beginning. He was my first round pick in, in, on my redraft team. So not a fan right now. But I wanted to, I wanted to, you mentioned the records or sorry, the, the schedules for each of these teams. And I like that it lays out where each of these teams play someone in the division twice. So they each have two remaining games against divisional opponents, which means in a large way, all these teams control their own fate. Those are games that all of them need to win. They're must-win games for any of these teams because they're so closely bunched. But I also wanted to highlight their non-divisional games because all these teams have, in my opinion, brutal non-divisional games. So the Ravens, they have the Packers and the Rams. Whatever you think of the Rams, that's still not a game that you want to see on your schedule. The Browns, the Browns have the easiest game. I think they're at home against the Raiders, but they're also, they have a game at uh, Lambeau against the Packers, which is basically a game that you can't win. That's a loss. I mean, you're not beating the <laughs> Packers in Lambeau this season. It's not happening. I'm sorry, Browns. You better win that Raiders game. That's what that is. Absolutely. a must win for the Browns. The Bengals on, on paper, they're playing the Broncos, but it's in mile high stadium. It's in Denver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no matter how good Denver is in any given year, that is a game that teams always struggle with going to that altitude. That's never a team you want to see as an away game on your schedule playing the Broncos. And I think the Broncos, they've shown flashes of being a very legitimate, competent team this year. The other game the Bengals have out of the division at home against the Chiefs, not a team you want to see right now. They're on quite a lengthy winning streak. The Steelers, they have a game next week against the Titans, and then they have a game at Arrowhead against the Chiefs. So all four of these teams, their schedules, their nightmares, they all they seem to only play close games in their division. I actually think this is an impossible situation to pick a team to win this division, especially when the one team that's winning the division right now has probably the most injuries in the NFL and has an injury to the most important player on their team. Who's not even playing well anyways. And so you have to think, even if Lamar Jackson comes back from this injury, there's no way he's going to continue to be successful. He already was struggling with whatever sickness he had, and now he's going to be even more banged up. I mean, this division's a mess. I I don't even know if I care who wins this division. It feels like at least it'll be battle tested. That's the best thing I can say. Uh, Yeah. I, I don't think I can disagree with that. This division has been really a mess all year long. And yeah, if Lamar is out an extended period of time, and you mentioned it, he hasn't, he hasn't been playing well. I believe since week 10, he's been uh, bottom 10 when it comes to EPA per play. And he's he had that four interception game against the Browns and uh, the game against the Dolphins where they couldn't move the ball. It's been ugly for them offensively, even with Lamar healthy. Um, well, I guess Lamar on the field, we don't know how healthy he is, but now with an added ankle injury, I just don't know how they're going to be able to muster enough offense and, um, be able to defend the pass without Marlon Humphrey and that beat up secondary. Um, yeah, I don't know about the Ravens. I don't know about the Browns. I don't know about the Steelers. I don't know about the Bengals. Just don't, don't ask us about it. Just don't. (laughs) Don't ask. I shouldn't have asked. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you uh you got anything else from the world of the NFL? Yes. So part of why the 1 p.m. games were so bad 
was because of the play of some of the rookie quarterbacks. Now, obviously, Mac Jones has had a very, uh, very good season for a rookie. He has the Patriots and the one seed in the AFC. He's been very efficient. Uh, but the other three rookies who have been playing so far have been absolutely dreadful. Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, and Justin Fields, who played in the Sunday night game. Um, I believe the last time I checked, they were the bottom three quarterbacks when it comes to EPA plus completion percentage over expected. Uh, they all have more interceptions than touchdown passes. They've all been horrible. They all um, have been unable to win very many games while healthy. Um, and then in the case of Zach Wilson and a little bit Justin Fields, uh, their backups in the same system have been better than them. So I think obviously most rookie quarterbacks are really, really bad. Uh, you go back to Matt Stafford, Peyton Manning, players like that. Uh, even Matt Ryan's rookie season, although they went 11 and five, he wasn't that great. Uh, he had a very good team around him. So I think this begs the question, how soon are we going to be uh, judging these quarterbacks? Um, who, who do you think is the best going forward? Who do you think is in the worst situation right now? Um, and for me, I could answer that <laughs> second question. I think Lawrence is in the worst situation at the moment with how dysfunctional Urban Meyer and the Jaguars are. But I'm curious, generally, how do you view these three guys' as futures? Yeah, so, of course, probably the most controversial or the first controversial thing I ever said, the first hot take I ever had on this podcast was that I didn't think Trevor Lawrence was very good. This, of course, was before the season and it and had nothing to do with the system he was in. I just think he wasn't very good. We have no idea if he's very good because, as you've mentioned, he's in a complete mess of a situation. I mean, all the stuff that came out this week about what's going on behind the scenes with Urban Meyer, the video of him shaking hands with... Uh, your coach uh, Rabel after the game went viral. Cause it just seems like, Ur- <laughs> it just seems like urban Meyer could care less right now, which is a, ex- an extreme problem in an organization that that struggles. But at the same time, I think the second and third worst situation in the league might just be the jets and the bears. So they're all three in three of the worst situations I've seen. And so for me, I'm kind of looking at flashes of excellence that I've seen in their play, just like flashes that, okay, you can see that they're a playmaker. You can see that they have the elements to put it together. And from what I've seen, and granted, I haven't seen all of the games they've played and I've only seen select highlights on Twitter. I've seen it the most from Justin Fields. I've seen it the second most from Trevor Lawrence, and I haven't seen it even a little bit from Zach Wilson. And so I, I think if I had to pick one horse going forward, it would probably be Justin Fields and I'm still waiting to have a proper time to victory lap on Trevor Lawrence, but he's shown some flashes. There's definitely something there. Obviously he was the number one rated QB heading into this season, but Zach Wilson, I'm actually pretty much ready to write off as a bust, which seems unfair because the situation, but he has, he shown it at all. I don't think he has. If he has, I haven't seen it. Um, I think coming into the draft, Zach Wilson was probably the quarterback I thought was the most overrated just because the situation at BYU was very comfortable for him and he was able to create plays and do a lot of stuff off script. But I don't think, I don't think he ever showed the ability to play within an offense. And I think that's showing up right now. Um, I watched a lot of that jet saints game since the jets are the local team on CBS for me. And I don't know if Zach Wilson made a good throw the whole game. I, there might've been one, but uh, it was very bad. I believe he went 10 for 26 He looked very squirrely in the pocket. He didn't seem as though he knew or was confident in where he was going with the football. 
And that might be uh, an extension of his injury. It might be his lack of playing the full season. But in this same system, we saw Mike White put up um, fairly respectable numbers. We saw Josh Johnson move the football. We've seen, um, I think that's it actually. But yeah, I think Zach Wilson, I don't really believe in, I didn't believe in him beforehand, but I think seeing him so far, I have even less reason to believe in him. I haven't watched much of the Jaguars. Obviously they played the Titans yesterday. Uh, Lawrence threw a bunch of horrible interceptions. He looked completely lost, but I think I'm more willing to give him a mulligan just because of the lack, the dysfunction in the organization, at least with the Jets, they had uh, Elijah Moore, who was a very, very talented wide receiver. Robert Sala is a respected head coach. Um, obviously, Mekhi Becton got hurt. Corey Davis got hurt. But there's more. there was more to work with uh, when it comes to the Jets and the Jaguars, I think, especially after DJ Chark went down with his injury and Dan Arter went down with his injury. And I would have to agree. I think if I were to bet on which one of these three QBs comes out looking the best, over the long term, I think it would be Fields. Uh, he had the game against the Steelers where he was making some very good throws on the move. He's a great athlete. He broke a couple of sacks yesterday that uh, were very impressive. It's clear that he's a very athletic player. Um, I think he's probably the most accurate among these three, at least when he's given a clean pocket to throw. Um, I'm not sure how exact, how exact that is, but that's just my evaluation so far. So I think Obviously, they've all been horrible. They've all been in bad situations. But I think Fields is the one that, as you said, has shown the most flashes of being able to create plays, being able to do things when the offense um, isn't going in, in the correct way. And, um, yeah, I would I'd probably pick Fields as well. I think it's also an important point, and you've kind of you've kind of danced around it and given the evidence for it. But when betting on at least these QB short-term future, it's pretty much a sure bet that the Jaguars are going to be getting a new head coach soon, that the Bears are going to be getting a new head coach soon, and the Jets are and the Jets are, are in the situation they're in. I, you called Sala a respected head coach. I don't know if he's quite at that low. He's definitely a respected coach, but he's definitely mm-hmm. not Matt Nagy or Urban Meyer, someone who is laughed at on Twitter. So mm-hmm. I yeah. think that both Lawrence and Fields have clear better days ahead. I think if Zach Wilson's struggling in this system already – it's going, it's a bad sign for what's to come. Now, granted, he should grow as he matures in the league, but pre- people are pretty quickly to move on and write off QBs in this league. Pretty much the only QB I have seen people not be able to do that with is Sam Darnold. And I think we've finally gotten to a point when that has happened. So I think Zach Wilson, rip. <laughs> yeah, it only took Josh Rosen one season to get thrown out of the NFL, basically. So maybe that, maybe that happens, but. Yeah, I think to end this point, you probably could make a point in Wilson's favor that he'll be the only one among these three who will be in the same offensive system next year, who will have the same coaches, who have that type of continuity. But um, I don't know how much that will help him. Yeah, I don't know. I think the Jets have, have been a mess for a while. I love the Jets being a mess. So you're, you're never going to hear it from a Patriots fan that, that Zach Wilson or whoever they draft next isn't a bust. I, I, I need to, all I need to see is his game against the Patriots when he throws like three, four, five, six interceptions, whatever he wants to do. And, and I already have the label stamped on him. That's did he how play we do in either Patriots of the fan. two games against the Patriots? He did play. He definitely played in at least one and he definitely had at least three brutal interceptions. So I can't, he, he might've played in both. I don't know. You know, the games all blur together at this point. It's just 
random team Patriots dominate random team Patriots <laughs> dominate. So forgive me for Except forgetting the, the specific details. That was, that was week one, Victor. Come on. We're, <laughs> I'm talking only the win streak. That's when the season actually started. Okay. Understandable. <laughs> Do you have anything else for us in the NFL before we move to our eliminator game? Yes. So we talked a lot about the AFC earlier today. I wanted to throw out that in the NFC there, it looks like there's at least a 50% chance we're going to get a bad team in the playoffs, uh, just like the Bears last year in the seventh seed. So the teams that I'm counting as the legitimately bad teams are the Washington football team uh, and the Falcons. And the t- um, among those six and seven teams vying for the last spot, um, I guess you could, whether the Saints under Taysom Hill are bad or not, I don't know. I didn't really decide. I kind of left them out of this conversation. Uh, but the other two teams, the Eagles and the Vikings, I don't view them as legitimately bad. I think they're more middle of the road, maybe maybe a little below average. Um, but yeah, I think the the bottom of this NFC playoff race is kind of shaping up to be one that's kind of hilarious, honestly, because the, the Vikings find new ways to lose every single week. Uh, they've lost to the Lions. <laughs> so obviously Dude, they're not a great team. I mean, team. did you not think they were going to blow that game on Thursday night? It like they could like that was a situation where it was impossible to lose. And they were this they were one play away from losing. Mm-hmm. That they yeah, were I mean, there were one Chase Claypool not dancing away from losing. Yeah, I mean that that would have been a perfect way for the Vikings to effectively end their season losing a game in that embarrassing of a fashion. But they won, so you know we still have to pretend like they're in it. Uh, the Eagles have a quarterback controversy, and it's honestly coming into the season, I wasn't sure whether the Eagles were really trying to win uh, since they had all these first round picks. They had a quarterback they didn't believe in, but now it looks like they're gonna. They're kind of forced into competing for the last playoff spot. And then the Washington football team, who we discussed their winning streak, uh, I think, last week. Looking at it again, it's probably less impressive than than I gave them credit for. Uh, the Raiders have become a real dumpster fire Um I mean, hey, we did, we did rank it last out of all the winning streaks. So we didn't give them any credit. That is true. Uh, they've been beating bad teams by one possession. Um, so they're bottom 10 in scoring offense and scoring defense. So I think they're just a legitimately bad football team. Um, so, and then the, the Falcons, I think they're bottom five in offense and defense. They really have nothing going for them at the moment. And somehow you look up and they're six and seven right now and competing for that last wild card spot. So I just wanted to point out how funny the bottom of this NFC playoff, uh, race looks like there's a chance we're going to get a team that's worse than the Mitch Mitchell Trubisky led bears from last year. And I, I think that's something that we should really appreciate right now. Hey, that's uh Nickelodeon's most valuable player. Mitchell Trubisky you're talking about loses the game, still gets the trophy. Absolute living legend. But I think you're right at the same time. I'm more excited to see how this race shakes out than the AFC North race shakes out. So I've got my eyes on these bad teams. I always love one good bad team to make the playoffs. One team that I can I can root for knowing it's just absolute chaos. This team will be probably playing like in Lambo and getting absolutely wrecked or in Tampa Bay and getting wrecked. So that's not good for whoever wins this game. I mean, it's it might not even be a playoff team if that's going to be their their reward, if that's who they have to play. But I just want you, you mentioned on it briefly, and I'm kind of taking us a little bit offline of this point, the, the QB controversy in Philadelphia right now, I think the Eagles would 
be rather, I don't know, dumb, if, if that's even fair to say, to go back to Minshew. I think you have to realize that a lot of Minshew's successes, they ran an offense that no team has seen film on this year. And so, of course, it was going to work for a game. I think maybe he hit the Jets. Yeah, and it was against the Jets. Good point. Good point. It was against the Jets. So they let's say they roll out Minshew again. Let's say he is actually the better of the two quarterbacks and the system works better. Okay, great. You, you took a risk and it paid off. But if you roll it out again, it turns out, okay, now we have film on this system. It's not as effective. You're going to look really dumb. You're going to have egg on your face. You might as well, for the remainder of this season, go with the QB that has been proven to be capable of being successful with film on him and that's Jalen Hurts it's a it's unique offense that that Hurts is running as well that no other team is really able to prepare for so I think ride him out for the end of the season and then make it a controversy in the offseason I think now is the absolute wrong time to be pivoting to Gardner Minshew yeah I think if if the Eagles season were going closer to what I would have expected this probably wouldn't have been an issue um, and the Eagles would just be riding out the season, trying to evaluate whether Jalen Hurts can be a future uh, court, uh, starting franchise quarterback or not. But I do think now that they've forced their way into the playoff race, there is some temptation to go with Minshew after he had such a good game. But I do generally agree. I think Hurts has shown that, um, especially in their run-heavy offenses with a lot of option plays, that he could lead a legitimate NFL offense and I'm not sure Gardner Minshew wants people catch up on the type of offense that they were running that he'll be able to have that type of success and in terms of the long-term implications I think there is zero percent chance Gardner Minshew is an NFL franchise quarterback just based off of um, what he was as a draft prospect and even though he's been a solid NFL quarterback I think he kind of tops out in the Teddy Bridgewater range where he'll always be fine, maybe a better than Bridgewater, but I think he'll always be serviceable, but I don't think he has the type of upside to be a legitimate NFL quarterback. Whereas I think uh, you want to evaluate Jalen Hurts and see if he can develop some of those passing skills to go along with the athleticism that he brings to the quarterback position. I think you're absolutely right and nailed it on the head, which I think finally brings us to our eliminator game. Will we be eliminating one of these bad NFC teams that has a chance of making the playoffs? We might have to because, Victor, (laughs) we're in a rough spot. And for me, it's coming down to two teams. It is one of those teams you mentioned. It's uh, the Saints. Actually, I don't know. Did you even mention the Saints? I don't I don't know if you did. I said I was uh, I didn't really put them in the conversation because I'm not sure whether they're legitimately bad or not. Okay. So the, the team that, no. yeah, I guess. So the saints for me are one of our options. The other option for me is the Broncos. Now, before the podcast, you told me that you're now starting to see the Broncos as legit, which is kind of funny because the Broncos have been on the chopping block for us for a, lo- a long part of the season. You've brought them up a few times. You said last week, even that, or actually, I think I said they were next last week. We've, we've gone back and forth, both of us, putting them on the chopping block, and they seem to narrowly escape every week. And now the week that I think I'm finally maybe ready to cut them cut them off, even though they had an impressive win yesterday. It seems like you've kind of done 180 on them and think they might be legit. I, I don't have a problem keeping the Broncos, of course, Colorado native, so not, not really going to complain. However, do we even have a good logical option here? Yeah, I think part of it is I think the Broncos new run run game uh, with how effective Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams have been uh, and how good their defense is. I think they're able to 
play a style of game that gives you a high floor, uh, maybe not a high ceiling, but I think they'll be competitive in most games. And that in the NFL, going 500 nowadays probably means you're going to be a playoff contender. So I do think that we should at least give the Broncos one more week. If they beat the, the Bengals, I think that it'll be tough to try and eliminate them at that point. Uh, whereas the Saints next week, they're going into Tampa Bay. No other team has won in Tampa except the Buccaneers this year. So I think if we're deciding between the two, I think the, the Saints playoff odds are going to massively dip uh, coming out of next week, whereas the Broncos have the potential to massively raise their playoff odds next week. That's true. And I think that Broncos Bengals game will be key for us. I think we might be put in a situation where whoever loses that game might be the obvious team to eliminate. So it makes a lot of sense that both those teams still available for elimination for at least one more week. Now the problem is, and to catch those up who are just joining us on the podcast for maybe the first time or have missed some of our earlier eliminations in this game, we've been eliminating a team every week as the season's gone along. And we've already eliminated both the 49ers and the football team who currently occupy the sixth and seventh seed in the NFC. The 49ers, we've basically just accepted our defeat. We were wrong, especially after they beat the Bengals last week. They seem to be sitting pretty. They seem to be at least a tier above the mess for the seventh seed. Now, the football team, I have much less faith that they're going to make it. I don't actually feel that bad about having eliminated them at this point in time. They had that, that win streak that gave us a scare that got them into the spot, but a loss last week. And I don't know if you know this, but they play the Eagles twice more to end the season. And so the Eagles have a real opportunity here to single-handedly eliminate the football team. Mm -hmm. But we only have three teams left in the NFC that are fighting for that last spot. We have the, the Eagles, we have the Vikings, and we have the Saints. I don't think we can eliminate the Eagles because they have those two games against the football team. They might be mathematically our best shot to eliminate the football team should they win both those games. The Vikings, we've talked about, they, they show flashes of being a good team, but they seem to be willing to lose every game. But those flashes make me hesitant to eliminate them. And then, of course, that leaves just the Saints. So I don't know if we're comfortable only having two teams to fight against that football team spot. If you look at 538, there is no team. All four of these teams, the football team and the, these three other teams we're talking about, are below 50% chance to make the playoffs. So it's kind of like, if we just have the three against one, that gives us a distinct advantage over the football team. Whereas if we eliminate the Saints, we're kind of looking at a 2v2 where it's the football team and the Saints versus the Eagles and the Vikings. Are we comfortable with that situation? I don't know. Because this, like you said, the Saints schedule is brutal. It's Bucks, Dolphins, which I think are two losses. But then it finishes off with Panthers and Falcons, which are two games that... Mm -hmm. They might be able to win. Actually, have we eliminated? Yeah, we eliminated the Falcons. Sorry. Yeah. That was another controversial elimination at one point because the Falcons were the football team for us for a long time sitting in that seventh spot. Yeah, they still might get back in that seventh spot just where they're situated. But I think I think it makes more sense to get rid of the Saints at this point. But um, yeah, it's it's a tough decision either way. Just because we don't have we don't have very much information on either side in terms of um, where teams are stacking up, I think getting one more week of the Broncos playing would be more beneficial than getting one more week of the Saints playing. Yeah, I mean, I've, the Saints do have a tendency to beat the Bucks, but I don't think either of us believe they're going to go into Tampa Bay and win that game. 
Oh man. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's eliminate the saints. I, again, I, I, it sucks because now we only have two teams fighting for that last spot for us, but at the same time, I think we have a real opportunity here to get some more information in the AFC and, and maybe get all seven teams in the AFC. It's a attainable goal for us. So let's go ahead and eliminate the saints, which finally means Victor we're getting to what I, I teased is perhaps the most controversial moment in sporting history it is at least the most controversial moment of the weekend so for those who thought the sure more than bucks bills i was just about to say for those of you who thought the the passing interference call was controversial or the flag in the game last night on the muffed punts that i don't know what was that going what was going on there but twitter wasn't happy about that either neither of those even close to compare what went Mm -hmm. down in f1 oh man so victor (laughs) (laughs) Here we go. Now, I, you don't follow F1 like I do. So if you have questions at any point, you're going you're gonna to have to stop me because I'm going to do my best to give you all the relevant information, but it's so much that I perhaps will miss details or per- perhaps overestimate the amount of general knowledge about F1. So feel free to butt in. But this is where I'll start. I got into F1 in the, this offseason because of the Netflix document, documentary series, Drive to Survive. Now, in this show, what Netflix does is they have unprecedented backstage access to formula one and they're able to follow them throughout the season then once the season ends they put it together in documentary form really amplifying the drama in the storylines of the season imagine like hard knocks but in season so kind of like what they're doing in season they're actually doing this right now i believe with the colts are doing an in-season version of hard knocks if you're familiar with the hbo uh, documentary series so it's like that but it's so much better because they take the off season to craft it into a more dramatic and more complete story. So if you're a sports fan in general, I highly recommend you watch the show, but I may not recommend then you continue from that point watching actual F1. But if you just like sports and you like the drama of sports, it's a great show. But before I realized that F1 was a sham, Victor, I was walking around and telling everyone, you need to, you need to get into F1. You need to watch the show and then you need to watch the sport. We have the greatest season of all time unfolding before our eyes. We have Lewis Hamilton, seven time champion, one, one world championship away from breaking the all time record, cementing himself as the goat versus the kid Max Verstappen, 24 year old, actual seven year veteran, kind of a prodigy coming up through the ranks. And he's finally kind of gotten to a point where it's like, okay, the promised chosen one has finally gotten his opportunity to win. So it's Lewis versus Max Verstappen. Now I'm telling all my friends, all my family, I even gave a previous shout out on this podcast for everyone to tune in to F1. Well, as it turns out, I was bamboozled, sucked into a sham of a sport. And now I have to live with the guilt that I brought a bunch of people down into this mess with me. Victor, I am mad. And here's why. Let's, let's, find, let's finally get started. Without further ado, it's time for the controversy, or maybe as my, my fellow F1 fans call it, because a lot of them are, are Brits, controversy. So we're going to get into what I'm dubbing the controversy. I don't know. Is that how they say it? It's close enough, right? I don't have a British accent, so. Well, I wasn't saying it in a British accent. I know they don't say oh, controversy, oh. though. Controversy? They say something like that. <laughs> All right. I'm already getting off topic, topic here. I'm going to start with Exhibit A. Now, it's controversial in itself that I'm picking this as exhibit A because I really could go back all the way to the beginning of the season and dictate all the mess that was this season, all the excitement that was this season. But I think it's most important 
for you who do not want to listen to me uh, talk about the entire season, let's start back just a month ago. Exhibit A, the Brazilian Grand Prix. This is actually already the race I talked about on this podcast. I don't remember how much you remember about the details of that race, but I just want to draw our attention back to one detail. Lewis Hamilton is about to pass Max Verstappen on the outside of the track. Now, to this point, Lewis, has, he's made a very easy pass on everyone. On this day, he has a far superior car than everyone, including Max Verstappen. So he's making this pass on the outside rather easily. And Verstappen knows if he makes that pass, it's game over to me. So for me, so out of desperation, Max sends it down the inside of Lewis, breaking way too late and running himself off the track. So if you can imagine, Lewis is trying trying to turn to the left and on the inside of Lewis, here comes Max Verstappen barreling down, hardly turning himself. He's going straight out of the off the track. So what Lewis has to do is then also turn off the track to avoid a collision with Max because he cannot afford to, to have a, a crash at this point because he's he's at this point down in the world championship standing. So Max drives him off the track. It's a clear racing foul, but for some reason it goes to the, the stewards who are like the refs in the F in the F1 world. And the stewards decide this is not something we need to investigate any further. It was simply a racing incident. We're just going to let the race go on immediate controversy, right? Every clear minded person knows that's not consistent with anything that happened in the past in F1. It's a clear racing foul from Verstappen. It was a move made out of desperation and a move he was unable to make in a successfully legal way. But the controversy kind of died, died down a little because Lewis did end up winning the race. But coming out of this race, it, people start, start to have questions about, they start dubbing it the clown show of the refs behind the scene in the F1 who seem to be letting the, the title defenders get away with fouls to try and keep the results of the season closer so that's exhibit a about a month ago this happened and people start to have questions what's what exactly is going on behind the scenes so you with me so far victor yes are you going to explain why the refs made this type of decision um literally no one knows (laughs) the the prevailing theory is is they did it because they didn't want to do something that punished one of their two championship protagonists they wanted to keep the the championship fight on for as long as possible and i think as you'll see as i continue to to dictate these different exhibits as i go through them you will notice that that definitely seems to possibly be the case mm-hmm. so that brings us to exhibit b the the penultimate race the race last week this is the race that at the beginning of the podcast last week i didn't get into it because i didn't think i needed to but i said it was the craziest race and the craziest F1 season of all time, but here we are. I have to get into it a little bit. I'm going to only highlight a few, a few of the things that happened in this race, specifically the things that happened between Max and Lewis and the clown show behind the scenes. So at this point in the race, I'm where I'm going to start us off. There's already been a crash in the race. It was so bad. They had to pause the race, bring everyone into the pits, clear the track. And then what they do is they line them all back up on the starting grid. And it's like having a second start only a few laps into the race. So they, however many laps they've already driven, those laps count, but they have to put the race on pause and then they restart it back at the starting line as if, as if it's a complete restart of the race. Does that description of it make sense? Yes. Okay, so at this restart, Lewis and Max are out the front. Lewis gets a far better start than Max, gets out ahead of him. And once again, Max sees his opportunity to make a desperation move. So what Max does this time, Lewis knows from the previous time that I can't let him come up on me on the inside. So Lewis completely blocks off the inside move. So what Max does is he goes around the outside, 
off the track entirely, shortcuts the corner and just gets ahead of Lewis. Again, this is a clear penalty. This one's even clearer than the last one. Like even Max Verstappen and his Red Bull team and his fans are like, okay, clearly what's going to need to happen is Max Verstappen is going to have to give that place back to Lewis Hamilton. Now, when Max drove back onto the track, he did so in such a dangerous manner that Lewis Hamilton had to slow down and it allowed the car uh, behind Lewis to pass him. So Max is in first, there's a car in between them, and now Lewis is in third. Now, also behind that, there is a massive crash again. So just after the race restarted, like 10 seconds in, massive crash. They have to pause the race again and bring everyone into the pits. So they get into the pits, and of course, we're, we're on TV waiting to see what will they do about Max Verstappen. We get a radio message. One of the one of the cool things about F1 is you get to hear the teams on radio talking to like the refs behind the scenes. And it's it's pretty dramatic stuff often. It's uh it's a lot of uh begging and whining, and some people don't like it, but it's pretty it's pretty funny stuff. But anyways, the the refs or the the head we'll call him the director of racing. So he's a similar position to like Rob Manfred in the MLB. He's not quite the commissioner, but in a similar spot, his name's Michael Massey. He gets on the line with Red Bull and he, and he basically says this, all right, deal or no deal. I will let you put Max Verstappen in second place. Are you willing to take this deal? Now already people are like, wait, this isn't how you, you do it. You dictate to them what the penalty is going to be. You don't give them the option to take the penalty. Like what is going on here? It's a little odd. Red Bull goes, okay, give us a minute. We need to talk. 10 seconds later, Red Bull comes in realizing if Verstappen's in second, that means the person who is in second, which is not Lewis will be in first. So it'll be this random driver that doesn't matter to our story, Max, and then Lewis. So Max is still ahead of Lewis. So effectively this is great for them. So he comes back and he's like, yes, we'll do it on the condition that Indeed, this random driver will be first. And then the racing director goes, oh, I didn't realize that he was in between Max and Lewis. Okay. I mean, what? This is the racing director not knowing the order of the cars are in in your race. So, I mean, clown show, complete clown show. Not only are they playing this weird deal or no deal game, their own racing director doesn't know where the drivers are in the order. This deal or no deal thing continues for a little bit. And eventually they decide, they agree upon this penalty that Max will actually go third, that that driver, that random driver will be first, and Lewis will get to be second. Okay, are you still with me? That was exhibit B. Yes, I think I'm still with you. Okay, so you're starting to understand there's a, there's just something weird going on behind the scenes. Oh, it's kind of the picture I'm trying to paint. Sounds like a lot of incompetence or corruption. I'm not sure which. I'm not sure either, Victor. <laughs> exhibit C. Now, Exhibit C has a, is, a, is a, a couple things put together, but basically the race restarts again. Max sends it on the inside again, but this time he sticks it. It's a legal move. He doesn't go flying off the track. He doesn't push any, well, he does push some people off the track, but in a way that seemed legal, it seemed like a aggressive move, maybe over-aggressive, but well-executed. It's the part in the style of driving that makes people like Max Verstappen when he's able to accomplish these moves. So that happens and no one's like, everyone's like, oh, good job, Max. You didn't do something illegal like the last two times you tried to do this. So Max has the lead, but again, in this race, Lewis seems to have the better car. So Lewis, he's chasing down Max. Eventually, he's able to pass Max. And what do you know? It's a repeat of the exact same thing that happened in Brazil in exhibit A. 
Lewis passes him on the outside. Max Verstappen sends it up the inside. He's unable to stop in time to turn left. And so they both go riding off the track. And once again, Max stays in the lead and Lewis is behind him. And it's all over. It's the controversy all over again, because, oh, now we have this inconsistent. We have this precedent from exhibit a that will there be a penalty or will there not be a penalty? But no, apparently precedents out the window now. Yes, there's going to be a penalty like, whoa, out of nowhere, a penalty and a race that now Lewis seems to like really need help from the stewards. They're going to give it to him. So they come on the radio and they say, okay, Max, you need to let Lewis pass. So when you do something like this in F1, you have two options. You either let the car behind you pass you, or you receive some sort of time penalty, which effectively will be enough to not only put you behind that driver, but also potentially leave you at risk of being behind other drivers. So it's always a no brainer. The, the driver says, okay, I'll let them pass me. I'll let them get their rightful place on track. The problem is apparently the FIA only told FIA is the ruling body in F1. They only told Red Bull that they needed they, that Max needed to give up the position behind him. So Verstappen wants to do this strategically. He gets to this point at um, right before a straight where if he lets Lewis pass, he can pass Lewis immediately again. Lewis doesn't know what's happening. So he comes flying around this corner and all of a sudden, boom, he's right on Verstappen's butt because Verstappen, Mac, Max Verstappen is slowed down completely. And so Lewis has this brief moment of like, what's going on? Then he realizes oh, he's actually letting me pass for once because someone must have actually told him, hey, you actually can't do what you did in Brazil and you can't do what you just did now. So yes, you can pass him, but Lewis knows that what strategy Max is trying to do. So Lewis decides, I don't want to pass Max. So Lewis sits behind Max. They're both going 100 kilometers slower than they should be at this point in the track. And then all of a sudden, I think Lewis decides, okay, I'll take the pass, but I want to surprise him. So Lewis juts out to the left and the tries to accelerate off into the distance to catch Verstappen off guard. Only Verstappen is watching in the mirrors. And at the exact moment that Lewis turns to the left to pass Verstappen, Max slams on his brakes and the two collide. And so once they collide, Max Verstappen just zooms off into the distance right back into the lead. And and Hamilton's now further back than he ever was because he's just had his front wing crushed into the car in front of him. Now, somehow, by some miracle, Lewis was able to continue racing. And normally when something like this happens, one of the two cars have to retire because there's like a tire puncture or like an entire part of their car is broken. Somehow that did not happen. But of course, controversy, Lewis is on the radio going, he brake tested me, he brake tested me. Now, this is not something that was immediately resolved in the race. So Lewis, again, because ends up winning the race um, because they make Verstappen give the place back. And there was actually more, a little bit more controversy on how they did all that. But Verstappen eventually gives the place back after all this fiasco. But the question now becomes, did Max Verstappen brake test Lewis? Because if he did, that's actual like dangerous driving like potentially causing a crash on purpose. And so they get the, they get the data from the cars. They have all this uh, telemetry data on the car tells them when they hit the gas, when they hit the brakes and how hard they did it. How, so you, you got a pretty good idea of the driver's intentions. The data comes out and it proves that Max Verstappen indeed brake tested Lewis right when Lewis was passing him, he hit the brakes almost full throttle. I think it was, it was more than they normally break in going into a normal turn. He put that much brake pressure on. And so they came to the conclusion that yes, Verstappen brake tested Lewis. So dangerous driving 
oh no, are they going to disqualify Max from the championship, which seems well in play because he just did something extremely dirty and dangerous, sore loser? No, 10 second penalty. That's all they give him, which conveniently not enough to move him from second to third. And why is that important? Because with Lewis winning the race and Max getting second, they now head into the final race of the season tied on points. So they are literally tied for first now. So this, this potential to a, what seems like they might actually disqualify Verstappen from this whole season, they say, no, we want the drivers to be tied heading into the final race. So are you, are you still with me? Still with me, Victor? Yeah, this, this does not sound good at all dude it you think like so this is just like this is the background of what you understand or, or of what you need to understand heading into the final race now i promise i'm not going to go much longer because i can describe the final race about as long as i've described each exhibit but it's important to understand that heading into this race everyone already had questions about how the rules were being regulated they, the the clown show narrative at this point is completely in play there's popular youtube channels calling michael massey a clown calling for his head saying he needs to he needs to be eliminated so the people that normally you know try to play like the political party lines you know be friends with everyone and not say anything too controversial they're calling for the dude's head they're like this needs to be over and it better not affect the final race. They say, we want this final race to be decided on track. We don't want Max doing anything dangerous. We don't want the, them crashing. We don't want any weird, inconsistent ruling deciding the championship. All right. So we enter this final race. What's going to happen? It all comes down to this. They're tied on points because a little bit of the way they seem to have orchestrated the last few races. We come in tied. And what do you know? Lap one. Now, you have to understand, in F1, this is, this is probably the most complicated concept I'll describe, but I'll try to do my best. You have different sets of tires. You have a softer tire, a, a medium tire, and a harder tire. The softest tire is your fastest tire. You can go the fastest while on this tire, but it lasts the least amount of time. The hard tire is your slowest tire, but it lasts the longest. Now, F1 has a rule where at some point in the race, you have to pit and change tires. So in any race, you can only complete the race if you have used two different tire compounds. So what teams normally like to do is, oh, let's just, actually, let's just give, so we don't complicate too much. For this race, the ultimate strategy is to start the race on the medium tire and then end the race on the hard tire. So they're going to go on. So that's what ideally you want to happen. Only when you qualify for F1, you, whatever tire you end up qualifying on, and it's of course a little more complicated than this, but that's the, that is the tire you have to use to start the race. So Red Bull and, and uh, Max Verstappen end up making a strategic blunder and Max has to start the race on the softest tire, whereas Lewis gets to start the race on the medium tire. So do you at least, do you at least understand here what's happening? Max has the softer, faster tire, but Lewis has the, the, the preferable choice, which is a tire that's in between the fastest and slowest tire, but it's going to last a little longer than Max's tire. Are you with me there? That's probably the most complicated thing. Yeah. Is there a reason he ended up with the soft tire? Is that more complicated too? It's a, it's a little more complicated. Basically he made a mistake in qualifying that kind of forced their hands where they needed to switch off the medium tire because he put a flat spot on it, like kind of drifting on the road when he shouldn't have, he kind of like oversteered and so drifted into a corner and put a big flat spot on his medium tire. So they had no choice but to switch to a soft tire because they don't want to be starting the race on a tire with a big uh, flat spot that makes the car jiggle and shake as he's driving. Right. So they switched to the soft tire. And at this point, actually, they thought that um, Mercedes was going to qualify in first. And so they wanted Max behind Lewis 
um, because the soft tire or they thought knowing that Max will be behind Lewis, the soft tire will allow him to get a better start off the line and be the, and take the lead of the race right away. And that might actually give us a chance to win. However, they were wrong. Their calculations were totally wrong. Max makes that mistake. Not only does he have the soft tire, but he ends up qualifying first. So he's starting from first with that soft tire and Lewis is starting in second with the medium tire. Now the race starts, there's kind of no question about how it's going to start because Max is on the, that softer tire, he's going to get the better start and he's going to drive off to a lead. He's going to try and build a gap on the faster tire uh, between him and Lewis. And then it will be a tactics game at that point. When to pit, um, who's going to be faster on the hard tire in the end, will Lewis be able to close the gap? So that's the, that's the question I into the race, but it's pretty obvious that that's what's going to happen. Only Max has an extremely delayed reaction to the lights going out a full 10th of a second slower than Lewis, which is a lot in, in formula one time. And so Lewis somehow on the medium tire ends up getting ahead of Max at the first, at the first corner. So Lewis is on that slower tire, that worst starting tire. He's ahead of Max, but Max is on the faster tire behind him. And Max knows I got to get going. I can't let the medium tire guy be ahead of me. So I need to make a move on him. So we come to the fifth turn on the lap. This is lap one. And what do you know, Max sends it up the inside once again, trying to make an aggressive pass. The, the two uh, drivers collide into each other. They bump and Verstappen though is able to keep it on the track. This time doesn't go off the track. Lewis goes off the track and Lewis cuts the corner like Verstappen did in the previous race and drives off into the distance. So they bump, but no like serious damage. Verstappen actually makes the move stick. So for once it's like, oh, an actual aggressive legal move again for Max while Lewis has just driven off into the distance. Now, of course, in Lewis's head, he's like, well, you never know with these stewards. So I should probably have to give the position back, but they might not make me. Guess what, Victor? They didn't make him. They let him drive off into the distance. And this is like kind of the first time in these last few races that it really seems like Max is kind of getting boned by the, by the stewards' weird decisions. There, this one was probably the most like up in the air about what they were decide what what they would end up deciding. But at least from my perspective, and as someone who was rooting for Lewis, I feel like they probably should have given the spot back to Max Verstappen. And so, for whatever reason, they don't let it happen. Well, for the longest time, we think this is going to be the controversial thing that defines this race is this decision because Lewis is meanwhile just driving off into the distance. Max cannot keep up with Lewis. There's a few moments in the race where. Max Verstappen, after Lewis pits, uh, Max Verstappen's teammate stays out and is actually does an amazing job keeping Lewis behind him. He's doing all these like impressive tactics. Verstappen's able to catch up for a brief second, but he never quite gets to Lewis, gets to Lewis and Lewis is driving off into the distance again. It's a boring race. It seems obvious. Lewis is going to not only win this race, but win it in a completely dominant fashion. He's like around 10 seconds ahead with, a, with only a handful of laps left. And then all of a sudden, this car has to, has to stop and they have to stop in a part of the track that's extremely dangerous. So what that means is they do what's called a virtual safety car. It's not a full-blown safety car, but all the drivers have to reduce their speed by 40%. So it maintains the, the distance they already had, but what it effectively does is it allows for a faster pit stop because now your opponents are going around the track slower. You lose less time sitting in the pits. So Lewis has the decision. Do I pit? Cause if I pit Max will get in front of me, he won't pit and he'll have track position for the remainder of the race. So of course, natural decision, Lewis isn't going to pit Max though, behind Lewis needs a miracle to win at this point. So he's like, might as well pit get on different tires so that I can be on newer tires. I can drive harder on and maybe by some chance I'll be able to just 
catch Lewis because he's on older tires than me. Still with me? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that happens. Uh, Verstappen comes out of the pit 17 seconds behind Lewis, and the race is on. He's going to have to, by the end of the race, make up a, almost an entire second every lap to be able to catch Lewis. The first lap, 0.8 seconds. That's about right what he needed. The next lap, 0.7 seconds. He's already not going, doing what he <laughs> needs, and then it just slowly is ticking down and down, and it's becoming clear that the champion, the eighth time world champion, he's going to break the record. Lewis Hamilton. No, five laps left. Huge crash in the background. A guy that's like literally in last place, Victor smacks dab into the wall and they bring out a full blown safety car. The driver wasn't crashing on purpose. That's not what I'm trying to insinuate, but it was a big crash. They bring out the safety car. What that means now is an actual car comes out and helps the drivers navigate the track around this car. That's like in pieces on the track. And so it bunches up the whole pack. So now everyone behind Lewis gets to gets to close the gap on Lewis. So it's the exact break that Verstappen needs. And now once again, Lewis has the decision. Do I pit onto newer, faster tires to try and get an advantage? But if I do that, I'm going to come out behind Verstappen again. And now Verstappen will have uh, the lead and the race, because it's happening so late in the race, it seems likely that the race may even end under safety car that they may not even pull it in. So by pitting Hamilton's basically guaranteeing that he's going to hand the championship to max, but again, max has nothing to lose. So what max does is he pits from second place and he gets soft tires, Victor. So he's back on the softest, fastest tires, a new brand pit, a new brand new pair. Lewis is on these hard 40 year old lap tires. So like not only the slowest tire, but super old tires. Max is on these super new tires. Like it'd be a huge advantage if he is able to get up on Lewis's butt. How is he going to be able to do that? The safety car. So you're still with me? Cause this is where, this is where the controversy starts. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So. With the safety car, what normally ends up happening is there's a there's a rule, and you don't have to do this, but this is the normal way it happens. It says in the rules that any car that has been lapped by the leaders, and so at this point, Lewis Hamilton has already lapped eight of his opponents, and Max Verstappen has lapped three of them. So if you can imagine, since Lewis has lapped eight and Verstappen's only lapped three, when they're slow, slowly driving behind the, the safety car, there's Lewis, then there's five cars that Lewis lapped, and then there's Max Verstappen. So does that make sense how that how that happens? Yeah, because no one's yeah. allowed to drive around the safety car. So there's all these lap cars in between Lewis and Max, even though they're in first and second. Mm-hmm. So the, the rule states that you can, if you so wish, allow the, the cars that have been lapped to unlap themselves. So what that means is once they clear the debris off the track, every car that's been lapped goes to the left and drives around the safety car and they start going on a fast lap trying to catch back up to the pack. The, then the rule states that the safety car will come in on the following lap, meaning after that's happened, it's one more lap. And on that next lap, the safety car comes in. This is all in the rules. This is the procedure if they, sh- if they choose to follow this. Now we're at a point in the race where it's clear that if they follow this rule, the race will end under uh, safety car condition because of that additional lap that they have to do, where after letting the cars unlap themselves, they then have to do an additional lap and then the race would end because of that additional lap. So the other option is to not do that entirely. They, they don't, they don't have to let the cars unlap themselves. What that lets them do is bring in the safety car a lap earlier and they will get one lap of racing, but there will be five cars in between Lewis and Max. So at this point, even though Max is on the far superior tire, 
and only needs and and is going to be far faster than Lewis on this one race because of those five cars in between the two. It's going to be basically impossible for Max to catch Lewis. But at this point, it's not really a big deal because Lewis has been dominating the whole race anyway. He's clearly the the rightful winner of the race. It's kind of like, oh, that's a really lame anticlimactic way to end it. But that seems to be the best way to do it because at least we're not ending under a safety car and and Lewis is going to win. Now, at this point, Red Bull radios in to the clown show and Red Bull starts complaining. They say, oh, that's not fair to Max. How is Max like Max can't even have an opportunity to pass Lewis? Like, are you really going to let the race be decided in this way? Yada, 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 blah, 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 whatever, whatever the the oh, sorry, I didn't I missed one detail. The at this point they had decided we're we want the race to to not finish under safety car, so we're not going to let the cars unlap. So that's when Red Bull comes in and starts complaining. They're like, "How can you not let the cars unlap? How is Max going to pass all those cars and Lewis? That's not fair to him." And he's and they're trying to tell Red Bull, "Do you want the race to end? Like, if you want, uh, do you want the race to end in safety car? Do you want the safety car to be gone and and end it as a race? Because if you want it to end in racing conditions, the only way for us to do that is to not let those cards unlap themselves." So we're hearing this argument between the two and then it, it cuts away. And so we think that's probably, that's probably it. That's probably all of what's going to happen. All of a sudden, Victor, we get this message across the top of our screen and it says, "Never mind. We are going to let the cars unlap themselves, but only the five cars in between Max and Lewis. And after we do that, we're not going to make the safety car drive that, that additional lap that it has to drive. We're going to bring the safety car in a lap before we're allowed to so that we can get Max in versus Lewis one last time, one last uh, lap with Max on the superior tires right on Lewis's butt. Can he hold him off? The Mercedes guy at this point's on the, the 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 like radio screaming. He's just like, "No, Michael, that's the dude's name. No, how can you do this? No, no." The race starts, and of course, Max's car is far faster. He has far better tires. He passes Lewis. He makes it stick, and he drives off to be the eventual world champion. The rules were bent. Max Verstappen wins the world title in complete chaos, and it, it was a complete sham. Like. I mean, oh, are you with me, Victor? Are you understanding what just happened? Yeah, yeah. I, dang. So, damn. Okay. Did well, uh, did, did, who's who came to this decision? This was the head, the Michael guy who decided. Yeah, Michael Massey is his name. He's the he's the racing director. He basically said, "I'm gonna uh, deliberately ignore my own rules to try and create this drama to try and create this final showdown." the showdown everyone wants to see between Max and Lewis. And I mean, it's, it was deliberate. It was farcical, Victor. It was fraudulent. It was so fraudulent, in fact, that, that after the race ended, Mercedes appeals to the FIA, who just, the FIA is who made the decision. They say, we want you to review your decision to break your own rules. So it goes to a hearing after the race. So at this point, like, wait, is Max the world champion? But of course, it's the FIA reviewing themselves. So, of course, they're going to agree with themselves. And so they come out and they say, no, we made the right decision. You know, we have this one rule that allows us to ignore our own rules. I've read the rule. It doesn't. It, it clearly doesn't. It's just like a very, very bad interpretation of their own rule. 
anyway, what's actually now happening is Mercedes has appealed that decision and is taking it to court. So the world championship is, is going to court. There's a sport right now that was supposed to have a world champion decided yesterday, and it's going to be settled in a courtroom, Victor. That's how much of a mess this is. Oh, yeah, it's, it's I cannot... Crazy. I cannot imagine anything like this happening in any other sport. Like this is just, this seems like at its core, the people who are in charge don't really care about the integrity of the sport. That's absolutely what it is. They care about the entertainment, but for me, like it's not entertaining to watch them do that. (laughs) So I I don't know, but just to put, I just want one other thing I wanted to add in, just put into perspective how like kind of, not a leg red bull and the fia have to stand on here so in the this is i'm reading now from the official document of the of the appeal mercedes it says the claims of mercedes mercedes claimed that there were two breaches of the sporting regulations namely that which states quote any cars that have been lapped by the leader will be required to pass the cars on the lead lap and the safety car and once the last lapped car has passed the leader the safety car will return to the pits at the end of the following lap so pretty clear um maybe that's a little technical for non-f1 fans but it says any cars that have been lapped by the leader will be required to pass the cars on the lead lap and on the following lap then the safety car will come in okay so that so they just cite the rule they're like here's your own rule that you broke this is Red Bull. Red Bull comes in. Red, Red Bull's argument in defense. Argument number one. This, this is their leadoff argument. This is how stupid it is. Any does not mean all. That's their argument. That's literally, quote, what they said. Any does not mean all. Let me read that again. Any cars that have been lapped by the leader will be required to pass the cars on the lead lap in the safety car. I don't know. Like, I, I mean, I don't want to get dictionary out on you, but any certainly means all in that sentence. Like that's their argument. So like I tweeted it out, but if like, that's the leadoff argument they're making and they still end up winning the decision, like that's the real comeback that happened yesterday. It wasn't Max Verstappen. Like they just had the worst opening argument I've ever heard and they still won. So I don't know. It's going to a real, real court now. I'm not really sure if it's a real court or if it's like another FIA court, but it's like, going to Paris, France, like this is a big deal. Like the, the whole title is in question right now. Yeah. It, it seems like I missed out on a lot then this, this is very interesting. Um, no Victor, that's so, a wrong takeaway. It's farcical. <laughs> you, don't, you, didn't, you don't want to be as in, invested as I am right now. Cause I'm spending all of Sunday yesterday, not watching football, this sport I love because I'm so angry at this injustice at this fake sport. It's not a sport. It's just supposed to be drama at this point. You can't call it a sport anymore. That is true. I mean, people watch WWE, right? It's kind of the same thing. Yeah, that's what it is. It's manufactured <laughs> sport. It's It doesn't happen do, naturally on the, on the race Verstappen and uh, Hamilton have like a personal beef now, just the way this came out, or are they just like cool with each other? Um. So for Max... Maybe so in the rate, the previous race, when Max and Lewis crashed into each other, because Max break tested him, he had not, he wanted nothing to do with Lewis after the race. He was like clearly avoiding him, not saying anything. He showed up on the podium afterwards and then immediately walked off when the normal process is to stay there and you all spray champagne on each other. But Max didn't do that. So we walked off Lewis at this race, even though he just lost in this manner and probably the most unfair way you can ever lose. Don't get me wrong. Lewis, didn't do anything wrong this race he drove a perfect race a completely dominant race 
that like clearly deserved to win and he lost. Not that Max did anything wrong, but Max obviously not only got lucky, but got basically handed the win from the from the racing directors. And so despite all that, Lewis got on the podium, he sprayed champagne on Max Verstappen. He celebrated with him, you know, he gave him, uh, he dapped him up. He said, congratulations. Lewis's dad went to Max Verstappen's dad and said, congratulations. So I, I, Lewis handles it really well. Max is still a little young and he doesn't handle it as well. That's what, interesting. I'll, that's what I'll say. About Very that. interesting. <laughs> I tried to give the most unbiased like picture of events. I'm I'm obviously in this fight. I'm actually not a Mercedes fan. I'm a McLaren fan, but they weren't in the battle for the win. So I've for this specific season, I hitched my wagon to Lewis because I'm not a fan of uh, Max Verstappen's like angry, aggressive driving that's reckless and you know dangerous. So hopefully those that know what I'm talking about can see the way I described it is pretty fair. I think I haven't, I've yet to see a reasonable person on Twitter say that Lewis didn't get screwed. Like say like that was totally like the right way that things should have gone down. So, but Twitter has been a mess because of course all the, all the Max Verstappen fans are trying to defend this, this farcical title he has. So. Very, very interesting. I mean, what was the over under on how many times I would say farcical? (laughs) Oh. I've hit the over. Definitely hit the over. <laughs> the question is now, Victor, will I be watching F1 next season? <laughs> I don't well, know. Will, will you? Uh, they first, they first thing, thing they need to do is get rid of the, the head of the clown show, Michael Massey. He needs to go. Like, I, I mean, I have lost legitimate trust in the sport. <laughs> I have never said that about any other sport before. Like I've complained about things being like unlucky. And like, for example, like when the, if you're, when you're a Rays fan and the um, Red Sox get saved by that odd rule that no one knows, like you have a right to say like, that was very unlucky. And the Rays very easily could have won that game. This is an entirely different thing for me. This isn't just like bad luck for Lewis when those cars were crashing behind him and giving Max a chance. It was like a deliberate changing of the rules to make the championship fight more exciting. And it was a very exciting last lap, but Lewis really stood no chance. And that's like why I draw the line there is like, you, you can't do that. It'd be like, it'd be like in the, I can't even think of a, an example in another sport, but like an NFL game where they were, they were like, in this one instance, we have decided that a holding call is no longer 10 yards. It is 95 yards. And we're going to put them on the one yard line and let them get four plays to try and score a touchdown to win the Super Bowl. That's kind of what it felt like. Yeah, that analogy does seem to to work well here because he was like given basically the opportunity to win that race. It it works, but it also doesn't quite capture like the idea of like it would have to be like one team was so clearly dominating that the game, and then somehow they found a rule that they could change to like go from like a dominant performance to handing the victory to the person being dominated. Uh, it yeah, really, like if Roger Goodell came down in the middle of the game, it was like, this touchdown is actually worth 18 points now. <laughs> yeah. That's what it felt like. <laughs> it, it, it'd be like, he, the, the, the Super Bowl is like, it'd be like 35 to seven. And he comes down, he's like, the next score of this game is worth 29 points. And you look on the field and the team down 28 points is on there is on the five yard line and it's first and goal. And you're like, well, that seems like an odd time to do that. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Um, dang. I could definitely see why that's the, as controversial as you were selling it for. That's very odd. Yep. Didn't, didn't oversell it. It's, it's on par with things like the, the black Sox scandal. <laughs> 
pretty Definitely. bad but and, i appreciate uh, you uh listening to me rant about a sport you don't watch and i i hope the listeners are just as just as mad and as me but also found some entertainment and some interest out of that we we somehow got ourselves a really long podcast here thanks to f1 uh even without baseball happening and having less football points than usual but i mean at this point sports are a sham so will i even watch sports anymore victor this is, remains a possibility in the back of my head for the rest of time and every other sport. at least at least F1 is a sham. I'm not I'm not going to be judging everyone else as quickly. <laughs> if this happened and if something like this happened, similar happened to in the Super Bowl, I legitimately believe there would be riots on the street. Like if oh F1's a gosh. popular sport, but it's not that popular. It's not like you don't have people begging for the day after the final F1 race to be a national holiday like the NFL. Imagine all the the batters who would be like oh tearing goodness. tearing everything up trying to get whatever call reversed well it, like I'm, it might get reversed in court <laughs> could you imagine the, <laughs> the lameness of winning your world uh, record eighth title in court oh so lame you think he'll they'll bring the champagne to the courtroom when the decision's made and they'll like celebrate in there i don't know i mean i don't really know like the power that the court has uh, to like overrule this so i in the back of my head i think that max will probably likely be the official winner but i think unofficially i will never acknowledge (laughs) that he won a world championship unless he wins another one but this one i will never acknowledge i haven't quite decided if i want to start saying lewis is an eight-time champion yet because i definitely have decided that max is a zero-time champion so i feel like in this race it might be fair to just say that there was no winner yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. The 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 winner was no one. Everyone lost <laughs> yesterday. Even like think about like the Max Verstappen fans who have been waiting for like this this promised savior to knock out the this dominant winner force in Mercedes. He finally shows up. He finally wins, and he wins in a fashion that no one is crediting as legitimate. Like that's not okay. fun. That's not fun for Max. Of course, he's going to celebrate and be happy. I'm world champion, but it's the worst way ever to win. Indeed. All right, but that that was our show. That's why I led off the show by saying sports are a lie. <laughs> As always, <laughs> you can find us both on Twitter. I'm uh, at UT Streamer, where I uh, I did a pretty okay job while I was on Twitter, not getting too angry, but you will see a few tweets out there about my unhappiness with the F1 race. Um, mm-hmm. I even made a meme, and I hate memes, and I made a meme. That's how upset I was. So mm-hmm. I'm at UT Streamer. Victor is at Awesome Victor AA. Awesome Victor mm-hmm. AA. On your way out, be sure to subscribe and rate the podcast. As always, leave a review only if it's positive. Victor, it sounded <laughs> like you might have had a, one more thing to say. Yeah, I just wanted to say I likely will not be tweeting as much about F1 on my Twitter, but you can still find me at Awesome Victor AA. Victor, you can be found tweeting mostly, I'd say, baseball, right? Yeah, mostly. For uh, Yeah, for the most part. I'd yep. say I'm probably pretty 50-50 between baseball and football, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anymore. Not, <laughs> not yesterday. <laughs> Lately, it's been mostly football for me. But that's our show. Thanks for listening. <laughs>